Good morning. Welcome to Wide Baptist Church. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses of John chapter 8. Um, as you're doing that, I want to uh, remind you as we share about the Johnson's ministry in China, we'll, we'll be posting some things on Facebook. Um, and we've talked to them about what what can and can't be done because uh, the last year there's been some uh, step up in that country as far as uh, persecution. And uh, we kind of know what we can do. Uh, so if you share uh, any of those posts, it's fine. Don't include their names. And uh, sure, don't tag them in it, okay? So just share it as it is, and, and it'll be fine. We've, we've checked with, uh, talked to them. Think Google search, okay? Uh, we don't want to do anything that would uh, come up in an easy uh, Google search. So just uh, to remind you of that. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now before we get going, we, we need to acknowledge that there is some controversy over this text. And uh, likely, uh, your Bible may have some brackets or have some special noting uh, on it saying that it is uh, a controversial text. And to understand why it's controversial, we need to understand how the Bible came to us. There are, there are the original writings, right? The, the writings of which John here or Paul or, or, or these guys, the, the original letter, what they wrote. And that is called the autograph, the, the real thing, the original, right? And this is what we do absolutely consider perfect. Perfect and, and inspired. And great care was, was taken throughout time by, by scribes and, and people writing and copying these letters. That's why we don't often come to the text that we have to kind of talk about like this, because they did such a great job in, in, in kind of bringing it to us as it was. But there are, uh, there are um, some textual variances depending on what text 
it's based on. Uh, we know that uh, some of the original autographs existed as late as 100 A.D. because the early church father Tertullian uh, mentions that, hey, you can go and, and look at these documents. But ultimately, these autographs have been lost to history. And there are, um, again, there have been great things done to, to ensure that, that these are as close to the original as possible. Um, some, in, in some manuscripts, you'll find this story in Luke. Uh, some manuscripts, you will not find it at all. Um, Phil Brown, I'm going to point to him and say, if you have questions concerning any of this, Phil has studied out manuscripts and and how we got the scriptures, and he is awesome. He believes that, that Luke actually wrote this story, and it found its way in John later. And, uh, and so talk to him if you have questions that are burning within you about this. And so we need to ask a couple of questions. Is it original to John's autograph? Uh, and then the other question is, is it authoritative and historical? The answer to the first question I think it's it's probably not original to John, uh, because of how it's put in the text. It seems a little off in the in the in the progression, the way that it is worded. Uh, it seems uh, different from what John writes. It's definitely more similar to to how Luke wrote. But the most important question is: Is it historical and authoritative? Most scholars, and myself, believe so that that this was absolutely, this story was absolutely part of the apostolic tradition, that this was a story uh, from the apostles, that, that this definitely happened, which is why it kind of comes up in Luke manuscripts and some, some of John's manuscripts, is because they knew that it happened. And so I, I'm going to handle this as Scripture because I believe that this definitely, absolutely happened in the life of, of Jesus, and it doesn't. It doesn't. Of course, it doesn't go against any theological um, uh, things that we know, and it certainly doesn't go against Christ's nature. I mean, when when we read the story, it's like that. Yeah, that's exactly uh, how it seems Jesus was when he walked this earth. And I certainly just hope that it happened because it's an amazing story, right? It's one of my favorite stories in the Scripture. I mean, it's almost like this showdown, this Old West showdown where these Pharisees and scribes are coming to Jesus, they're going to try to take him down, and then after he confronts them, they all run away like scared little kids. I love that. It's a great, great story. And what I, the truth that I want to take from this story this morning is this, is that though we are caught and condemned by sin, we find grace in the love of Christ. And so we see here, uh, in these first six verses that the scribes of the Pharisees brought this woman that had been caught in the sin of adultery. And they're, 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 not, they're not seeking, there's no, genuine, there's no genuine work here. There's no genuine effort. They don't care about the law. They sure don't care about this woman. Uh, they are looking to get a score against Jesus. And if this woman ends up getting stoned in the process, that's fine because she's just a pawn in the bigger game. 
And you see, they, they're trying to play these two sides of Jesus against each other, that they, they hear this man teach, and, and he loves the law of God, that he seems to, to speak with authority concerning the love of God, and that uh, or, 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 or the law of God, and that the law of God is good and it's right. But on the other hand, they realize, but he really treats sinners with a lot of grace and compassion and love. So let's orchestrate an event that kind of puts those things at odds where he either has to choose the law of his father or he has to choose to be compassionate to a sinner. Recently, uh, in the news, in, in, in the U.S., we had a story, right? A story of a hate crime. And when I heard about this hate crime on the streets of Chicago, uh, I got a little irritated. I thought, if this happened, this is horrible. Uh, I want to find whoever did this, and let's punish them to the full extent of the law. But then the facts begin to emerge. And the more facts that emerge, I begin to think, this story stinks. Not because of any political or, or any feelings I have, just the story stunk. That the, the, the facts of the story did not match the way things tend to occur in real life. And so, sure enough, more facts, more facts, and more facts. Until what do we realize? We realize that he had paid someone to attack him so that he could get a raise on his TV show. When I read this story of the woman caught in adultery, in the same way, I'm like, this story stinks. The Pharisee story. The Pharisee's account. I mean, think about it. This is just all too perfect, right? That they need, they need some way to test Jesus and they just so happen to be walking down the street, just so happen to look into a window and see a woman committing the sin of adultery. I think it, the best case scenario for the Pharisees here is that they were peeping toms. The worst case scenario, and what I think is probably more likely, is that they somehow arranged this they arranged that they, they entrapped her. They wanted to catch her in this sin. And the big question that has existed ever since this story has existed is where's the man? Because the law that they're citing in Deuteronomy 22-23 requires that the man also be judged with the woman and stoned as well. With that being said, I, I do believe that if it had been less of a set-up case, that do I believe that Jesus would have stoned her? I, I don't think that he would have, but I think the case being that it was, it's an easy thing to dismiss. It's an easy, this is a setup. This is not about love for the law of God, and it's not about uh, the love of sinners. It's about trapping Jesus. These men display no true understanding of the law and their actions are devoid of love. So in light of this, how does Jesus respond? It says in verse 60, 
uh, as we see uh, that these Pharisees become caught under the law. It says in verse 6b, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now there's been so much speculation about, about this scene, right? Like lots of preachers have t- taken a lot of artistic license and, and they've tried to speculate. Well, what did he write? I mean, some, some people I've heard say, oh, he, he wrote out their sins or names of people they had committed adultery with. Or he wrote out just the word grace. And all of that speculation is just that. It's speculation. We don't have a clue what he wrote or if he wrote anything. But I agree with one commentator which... Man, it it makes sense to me. And again, this is still speculation. But this commentator said, Jesus was simply being dismissive. You know, do you ever find yourself saying to your kids or to your spouse, look at me when I'm talking to you? Because if you don't have their eyes, you know that you don't have their attention and you feel disrespected. You feel like they don't care about what you're saying. Well, could it be, again, this is speculation on my part. Now I'm speculating. But could it be that Jesus was just being dismissive? Just thinking, these guys, they don't care about the law. They don't care about her. And I'm just going to sit here and not even look at them and doodle in the dirt because that's what I would rather do than listen to this story that stinks to high heaven. And so we see that Jesus is just not, not going to put up with this nonsense. But he does finally speak to them. And this is what he says in verse 7. It says, and as they continued to ask him, so they were badgering him as he rode in the dirt, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. It's, it's very important for us to, to understand what Jesus says here. It's not just that he's throwing out um, a, a something that will get this woman out of hot water. It is about Jesus bringing these Pharisees and scribes to the actual purpose of the law. You see, the law is not primarily meant to be a spotlight to shine at others. That's not what the law is for. It's not a spotlight for you to shine on others primarily. It is meant to be a mirror to your own soul. Augustine, uh, Augustine wrote this, he said, The law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered and so feeling our weakness under the law, may learn to implore the help of grace. You see how these Pharisees, they skipped over the primary purpose of the law. Here's what God said, said do. Now let's go find someone to judge. Or better yet, let's go find someone to trap Jesus with in our judgment. Many have misconstrued this text to say that it's wrong to ever pass judgment. 
that, well, we, we need to be perfect to ever pass, to ever confront sin in another's life. But that's totally missing the point. The point is to judge ourselves by the law before we go to judging anyone else according to the law. That's the same uh, meaning behind Jesus' illustration of, hey, when you got a beam in your eye, why are you trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye? First, take the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see and help the person with the speck in their own eye. It's It's not about not passing judgment. It's about passing judgment on yourself first. God is not looking for pharisaical hypocrites who judge others by law that they are not keeping. Neither is He looking for people to give a pass on sin because, hey, nobody's perfect. Sin how you want to. What He is looking for are those who have been humbled by the law and overjoyed by grace so that they can go into a world and speak the truth in love. There's been much made in recent times about publicly displaying the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, These displays are at courthouses, and atheists are saying uh, those shouldn't be at a a public courthouse, and so we want them removed, and Christians have said, no, that needs to be there. And there's much that's been made about, hey, publicly displaying the Ten Commandments. But I think the biggest question that should be on on the hearts of us as Christians is when we look at the law, what does it do to us? Because if we're merely wanting the law to be out there displayed publicly because these sinners need to see it, and these sinners need to know how to live their life, and so we don't want them to steal, so we need to put a sign at the courthouse that says, do not steal. If that's your primary go-to for the display of the law, I would put forth that you're not getting the law. When we look at the law, what it should do to us is as we look at it, we think, I'm so imperfect. I could never keep this law. This law would crush me. But thanks be to Christ, who lived the perfect law for me. Thanks be to Christ. That should be our response with the law. Not, hey, everybody needs to see this so they can act right. No, everybody needs to see this so that they, like us, can know Christ. This is what the law is primarily for. Sure, It can also restrain evil. And sure, it shows what is pleasing to God, but its primary use for each of us is a mirror in which we see our need for Christ. If reading God's commands turns you into a Pharisee looking for someone to judge, then I dare say you need to spend more time in meditation on the law because the law should make you more like Christ. Desiring to go and show people grace. 
the grace that you so desperately need. Let's see how the, how the Pharisees react to this statement. It says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. They left one by one. I wonder why. I wonder why uh, it says here that they left older to younger. The older, they kicked out first, right? And then followed by the younger Pharisees. Again, we're in speculation, but could it be that the older had lived long enough to know I've committed a lot of sin? Could it just be that they were wise enough to know when they had been had, when they realized we're not getting this guy, at least not today. We need a new plan of attack. Their sin, their own, their own perspective, their own view, they turn to their own sin. As Jesus asked them, hey, look at your own sin. And they're exposed, and it is a good thing to have your sin exposed, but it's very important what you do with that exposure. And the scribes and the Pharisees here, they do the wrong thing. Because when their sin is exposed, what do they do? They run. They take off. They get out of sight. They do what Adam and Eve did after they sinned in the garden. They ran and they hid themselves. Think about this for a moment. The one who could actually deal with the sin that they were suddenly thinking about was before them. The one who would lay down his life in the forgiveness of those sins was right there before them. And they turned and they walked away from it. They should have ran to the one before them, the one who would lay down his life for these very sins that they were now dwelling on. Our exposure our exposure should send us to Christ, not anywhere else, not into, hey, I'm going to go be better. I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that. And go hide from, for, for life for a while. No, you run to Christ. But there was one that stayed. There was one that did not go away. There was one that stayed and called Jesus Lord. says here and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him in verse 9 and it says Jesus stood up and said to her woman where are they has no one condemned you she said no one Lord and Jesus said neither do I condemn you imagine this moment imagine it drug from your bed of sin Drug through the streets in your shame and thrown down in the dirt before the Holy Son of God to await your fate, to await His decision as to what He is going to do. And what does she hear from Him? She hears those blessed words, 
neither do I condemn you. These are words that Jesus loves to say. Jesus loves to say these words. It was, it's his mission to say those words. In John 3.17, which we, we looked at months ago, it said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The Father sent His Son into the world so that a woman caught in adultery might hear the words, neither do I condemn you. The Father sent His Son into the world so that a woman who has had an abortion can hear the words, neither do I condemn you. The Father sent the Son into the world so that he could, so that a, a man called in adultery might hear the words, neither do I condemn you. The Father sent His Son into the world so that you, on your very worst day, could hear Christ say, neither do I condemn you. Amen. Amen. But it is not everyone who hears, neither do I condemn. It's not everyone. Romans 8, verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son into the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. It is only the reality for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who, unlike the scribes and Pharisees who ran away in their exposure, who are like the woman who stays and calls Him Lord. Those who are in Christ Jesus, He does not condemn. He will meet you in your sin. So are we to take from this story that sin does not matter? Are we to take from it that, that only perfect people are to address sin? We see that what Christ does after this woman is caught by, in sin, caught in the law, and caught in His grace is that He sets, the, sets her free in the love of Christ. He says, neither do I condemn you, but He follows it. And the last words to her are this, go and from now on sin no more. Jesus acknowledges that she has sinned and He calls her to go out and sin no more. He doesn't say, hey, I don't condemn you. Keep on being you. He does not say, no judgment here. 
do what makes you happy. He tells her to go and to sin no more. You have to do a lot of gymnastics to make a text say sin doesn't matter when Jesus leaves the woman with go and sin no more. Don't do it. Let us remember that the cross is the greatest illustration ever that sin is horrible. Christ would suffer and bleed so that this woman and all of us in Christ might be able to be set free. He doesn't downplay sin. Jesus doesn't do that. He deals with sin with his very own blood. We see here that though the Pharisees wanted to see her die, in the judgment of the law. And all that would have been gained from that death is just a dead sinner in the streets. Christ sets her free to go live under His grace and His love. Christ knows that true freedom from sin comes out of being loved and forgiven by Him, not by being bashed by the law. Folks, we can preach the law all we want. We can call people to morality all we want. But it's only the love and forgiveness of Christ that can truly change a sinner and set them free. Until they have that amazing grace encounter with Christ, they will never know what it means to fight sin in the love of Christ. So I close with this. Unbeliever, maybe you're here and I don't care where you are in your sin. I don't care where you were last night. If you come to Christ, even in the depths of your sin, and you call Him Lord, and you ask for His forgiveness, He will say to you, there is therefore now no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. Christian, do you live your life as a Pharisee that just seeks to read God's law and says, why can't people obey it? Why aren't more people like me? Instead of really looking at it as a mirror and ask yourselves, how much have I fallen short of God's glory constantly? How much do I continue to fall short of God's glory? And does it send you Christ so that you may go out into a world and give compassion and love yes be courageous with the truth yes confront sin but do it out of a heart that has been humbled by the law you could never keep and the Christ who kept it for you I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come we're going to have a time for you to respond However, God is, is placed on your heart with His Word for you to respond this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we have all, all been this woman. We have all been caught. 
God, I thank you for those of us who are in Christ Jesus who has known those beautiful words of neither do I condemn you. God, help us to live in the humility that the gospel demands. God, I pray for anyone here who is lost, who still remains in their sin, who remains in their, sh- their shame. God, I pray that they would turn to you before it's too late. I move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.